Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hi, everybody. What a great way to start the week every Monday with an episode of the Born to Talk radio show. And I am so excited, honestly, truly excited to do this with you every single week. My show today is featuring Jessica Likewise. She is the founder and the CEO of Hope Education Services, and we're going to be talking about autism. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thank you so much, Marcia, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it, it it really, truly is, and I just love that we honestly got connected via social media, and uh, I think that it was meant to be. This was the universe speaking to both of us. So let's get started, and I always like to start the show a little bit about, so who are you? So tell us a little bit about your background, your education, home, whatever you'd like to tell us, just to give us a glimpse into who is Jessica. Awesome. Well, I first started working with kids with autism when I was in college, and I was volunteering at a church as a children's minister, and there was this little boy, and I thought he was adorable. Every week, he would thank God for chicken nuggets and french fries, and he would pray Mm -hmm. that he got Pokemon cards for Christmas. And I had never heard of autism before, but I thought he was adorable. And I was a legal studies and Asian studies major. I was planning on studying international law for business. And was about to graduate, and this little boy touched my heart in such a profound way that my senior year of college, I changed my major over to education, wound up getting a master's degree in special education, continuing post-studies, post-graduate studies in the field of psychology, and specializing in working with children who have autism. And I loved it. I did it for about eight years, lived and working in Manhattan, and it was really an incredible experience. I had some of the best training in the world from some of the most world-class and leading researchers in the field of autism before I moved to New Jersey. And when I did, I became very keenly aware of the fact that not all parents had access to information on how to help their children. And I think I knew that in, in my heart, but I started to become more aware of that. And it's not only just people we think of, we, when we think of that globally, it's very easy to distance ourselves and remove us, move, remove it from the situation thinking, oh, well, those are people far away in another place that we can't relate to that are somehow different than us, but it's not. Um, and it's really even just in our own backyard. If you live out an hour outside of a major city, oftentimes you don't have access to the services and help that you need to get your children the best education. So I'm a big believer that when you find out about a problem, you have three choices. Number one is what most people do, and that's to do nothing. And (laughs) number two, which is the second most common response, is to complain. And three is to be the solution. And just like Gandhi says, you know, you want to be the change you want to see in the world. I opened my company, Hope Education Services, five years ago, almost to the day. Um, Actually, tomorrow will be my 
last, I, I, I thought it was last week, but I did a math, and tomorrow is officially my five-year anniversary of opening my company, Hope Education nice. Services. And it was born to be the solution for parents. Um, my vision and my mission is that every parent everywhere in the world knows how to help their child with autism, and I just love it. I'm so grateful to God. I wake up every morning, and I'm just so grateful that I truly get to live in my purpose. I love what I do. It inspires me, um, and I look forward to work every day. So that's what I've been doing for the last five years through my company, Hope Education Services. That is that is so great. And, you know, it's funny. You, you hear the terms frequently. I do. Um, I hear it often from many of the guests that I have, which is, do you know your purpose? Do you do you do you live your purpose? If you don't know your purpose, how can you go about determining your purpose? And there's something very liberating, I would say, when you actually feel like I, I really do understand what my purpose is. And then, okay, so now what are you going to do about it? And when you can make a difference as you as you do, that is really exciting. Obviously, you're the age of my children, and I'm leave, I'm leading a different kind of a purpose in my life based on my lifestyle and the fact that I am a widow and that I sort of had to reinvent my life. I always knew my purpose; it had a detour, and now to to be able to have guests like yourself and others that are really affecting change, positive change. Well, I'll tell you, it's like if you have an empty gas tank and then you fill it up. I always feel filled up on Monday when I have guests like yourself on the show. So I want to thank you very much for for being part of this, Jessica. And I thought we could start with some basic definitions, just, just so that there's nobody listening going, what? I didn't know that. So why don't you tell us, what autism is? That's a great question, and it's one that's very difficult to define because there is, you know, there's a, there's a diagnosis of autism, but autism is not something that you can detect in a blood test. It's a set of behavioral traits. And so all children with autism have a very, very different experience, and parents that are uh, have kids of autism, they have a very different experience. There are some children with autism who are a little bit socially awkward, but for the most purposes, most, you know, for all intents and purposes, can do all the things that you and I can do. And then there's also children who are profoundly affected, and they will need round-the-clock care for their entire life. They might have aggression outbursts. They might be self-injurious. They may never learn to talk. They might need always help with things like even feeding themselves or toileting. So it's a very broad spectrum of disorders. But there's three things that all people with autism have in common. Um, that is they have issues with communication, meaning that they, learn, they don't learn to communicate. And that's not, not learning to talk. A lot of times when kids are two to three, and many people with autism, they do learn to talk. So we're talking about when children are young. These are the signs of what autism manifests like mm-hmm. when you're a toddler or you're in preschool age. Is there's a delay in communication. Now, that's not just in a delay of language. It's a delay in all communication, meaning you're not using gestures, meaning you're not making eye contact, you're not pointing to things. Overall, there's a delay in communication. The second thing is a delay in social skills. So children with autism or adults with autism, they lack some social skills, and that can vary from person to person. It could be a, per- a person is um, profoundly introverted. It could be a person is very extroverted but just doesn't, understand how to play nicely with people, understand how to talk to people, how to have conversations. So there's, again, a very big spectrum. The third thing is what's called the presence of stereotypy or, or repetitive interest in behaviors. 
Those are things like hand slapping, rocking back and forth, um, fixating on parts of objects, lining things up. All that can be part of stereotypy. Um, for a long time, there really wasn't a recognition of the fact that children with autism have sensory differences, meaning there's a part of our brain called the reticular activating system, and it helps us to filter out information and interact with the world. Oftentimes, children with autism, they look at the world differently and they interact with the world differently than someone who's neurotypical does. So the way that they process sensory information, meaning their senses such as the sense of um, sight, the sense of touch, um, the sense of hearing, and other, there's other senses as well that are not as common, they process them a little bit differently, and as a result, their behavior or mannerisms may seem different to us, and what, uh, they, what senses they seek may be different for us. So someone who is autistic, they might really crave deep pressure or they might be really averse to it. So it's a very broad spectrum, mm-hmm. but you will notice that all children with autism have a different set of behaviors than someone who's neurotypical, and they need those behaviors to get their needs met. That's that's really interesting. You know, I've 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 had shows on autism before, but you're the first one that's really defined it in a way like this, and I and I I really appreciate that. Um, I would like to be. I'm so I have a few more questions about just understanding this, and I you know and I and words really matter. So I was about to say condition. Is that is that a is that a fair definition? If I say at what age would children be ident- identify with with autism as a condition? Is it a considered a condition? Con- it's a very controversial topic, and um, really? everyone who everyone who speaks to you will give you a different a set of answers. And here's the reason why I think it's so controversial: you have people who are autistic adults, and they just think their autism is just part of who they are. It's maybe some quirkiness that makes them who they are, and they love their autism, and they would never want to change it. And it would be very difficult, and, and it's, it's not right to say to that person, hey, you have this disability or condition because they interact with the world or think differently or enjoy different mm-hmm. things than you or I do, right? And mm-hmm. so they're, and they can do, and a lot of autistic adults can do all the things we, you and I can do. They just do it their own way, and there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with that. And then you have to are experiencing taking care of their adult children, changing their adult children's diapers, afraid of their children because they might be aggressive. They might be aggressive to themselves or their siblings, faced um, with the fact that when they die, their children are going to have no one to take care of them, and they don't know what their future of their child is going to look like. So you have an ex- you can have either extreme. It is very hard to tell to look at a parent and say to them, you know, kids with autism are just different. They're not less than any child, and autism is not a disability. Autism is is just a difference to be celebrated. When you have a parent who's they're changing their 40-year-old child's diapers, you can't tell them that. That's It looks like a condition. It looks like a disability, and then mm-hmm. it, but it doesn't always look like a disability. And I think that's mm-hmm. the problem with labeling everything under the umbrella yeah. term of autism, um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of controversy. There's, they've, they've gone back and forth into the field of autism. Sometimes they, they actually just changed it as recently as 2013. They went back to calling it all autism. It wasn't called. Um, and not everything was considered under the umbrella term of autism, even when I first started practicing in the field. So it's, there's a lot of controversy around that question. Mm-hmm. What we're beginning to learn in science is that essentially autism is, looks like it's caused 
by a set of neurobiological genetic traits that are causing sensory and neurological differences in how the brain interacts with the body. And that actually autism is, may not have the same cause and it may not have the same genes being turned on for every person, which is why it looks so differently for different people. Right now, mm-hmm. like I said, autism is defined by a set of behaviors. There were other things that were once considered autism that they found genetic conditions and links to, and now they call them something else, like Angelman syndrome. Once they found the gene that was linked to it, it was no longer considered autism. Rett syndrome was once considered autism. Now that they found the genetic component to it, they pulled it out of autism. So I think that in the next five to 10 years, especially as the study of epigenetics increases, that we're going to start to have a better understanding and definition of what autism is. And Mm -hmm. you'll really be able to answer that question in in a better way. But right now, what I think is important is understanding that it's a spectrum and yes. that, you know, it is a spectrum and there is a neurological, biological cause for what it is. But autism does not manifest as a disability for everyone, but it mm-hmm. does manifest as a disability for some people. That makes sense to me. You know, it's interesting because I, I was going to go to that word spectrum because I'm familiar with you almost hear the word on the spectrum. Is, is that kind of a typical way you hear that from 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 Asperger's, you know, highly functioning to to that child that doesn't ever speak, right? So that, that, that's it's called on the spectrum. Do I have that? Do I have that correct in my head? Yeah. Again, okay. um, there, that is that is first uh, person's person first language, which is a very much accepted by parents and professionals. When Mm -hmm. I first started working in the field, we were taught person-first language. When I even started making videos about autism, I was very much a big proponent of person-first language, meaning that you identified the person and then autism. Uh, What I've actually found is that there are a lot of autistic adults who appreciate being identified as autistic, and Mm -hmm. they actually prefer the identity-first language. So they They embrace it. Yeah, they want yeah. to be called autistic rather than an adult with autism. So there are people with very, very strong opinions about mm-hmm. the fact that you shouldn't say that they're on the spectrum. You say that they're autistic. And then you have people who don't care one way either or, or the other. Right. And then you have people that, that prefer person, first-person language, which is saying on the spectrum. Most parents and most practitioners lean towards that direction. I do find most, most autistic adults prefer that identity first language. But again, there is so much controversy wrapped up yeah. in just even labeling something as autistic mm-hmm. or labeling something as autism. It is not as straightforward as a response as you may think it is. Uh, it's mm-hmm. why there's so much division in the community, especially between the way that professionals and parents see autism versus how autistic adults see autism. Because mm-hmm. of that, there's been a lot of conflict and division, which is a big part of um, what I'm trying to do with my company is to solve okay. that solve that gap and unify parents, professionals, um, related professionals, autistic adults, so everyone's on the same page. I think it's really important that we all work together so that way every generation of kids, we start to see a better outcome and a better life quality and more acceptance for them. I I love that. And, you know, and words matter. And and just the choice of words could really affect a person's uh, response. I want to. I wanted to ask you this because you probably know this is maybe kind of a yes or no. Do you find that there are more boys than there are girls that have autism? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So right now the numbers in terms of actually diagnosed 
um, people, there are four times as many boys and girls that have autism. However, um, when they did a lot of research into identifying why, the first thought was that there was some sort of factor on the X chromosome that, protect, that protected girls, so that way even if they inherited um, these genes that turned on autism, they weren't activated. So that was the first belief. And they believe that that's still true. But one of the other things is that when autism was first discovered, so to speak, as a condition, this is going back to the 40s, it was only really thought to be a disorder that affected boys. And mm-hmm. that didn't really change for a good 20 years. It wasn't until the 70s that the idea really that girls could get autism was widely accepted. But the definition of what autism is and the assessments that are defined to pick up autism are very much um, developed around what autism looks like in boys. So oftentimes autism manifests differently in boys than it does in girls. So girls that have autism, they tend to be the teacher's pet. They tend to be very, very quiet. They tend to really like the rules. And their autism also go unnoticed because they never cause a behavior issue. They always, do, they always follow the rules. So unless they're truly profoundly affected by their autism, often they go under the radar and are not diagnosed till later in life. Boys, on the other hand, and this is a generalization, of course, this doesn't hold true mm-hmm. for everyone, but boys typically will, if they have autism, they will be very loud. They will have behavioral issues. Um, they will not follow the rules. So the autism is more noticeable, and the screening tools are designed to pick up autism in boys. So a lot of researchers and a lot of um, pioneers in the field of autism are suggesting the fact that we need to take a look at the autism assessments and make them more sensitive to picking up autism in girls. And they believe the number is not really four to one. Um, Based upon that belief, some research is suggesting that the numbers are closer to two to one that there's twice as many boys that have autism than girls. But certainly there is, right now it is, it, is, it, is, um, it does affect more boys than girls, certainly. Interesting. I, I, I'm just thinking about a friend that I know that she has a daughter and then she had twin boys. One is autistic. And, and, and you know, you think, gosh, you know, they're twins. Does that, are they both autistic? No. Just one. I just, it would, you know, you. I don't think there's anybody that you could speak to that's listening right now that doesn't know of someone, whether they're related to them or they're friends of friends or or whomever, or you've watched television or whatever that that doesn't isn't aware of autism. And um, I know there's a whole month that, that recognizes autism. I think it's really important to bring this conversation forward and I when you mentioned that you're celebrating your your fifth your fifth year I just want to congratulate you on on your business I I I would like to also recommend that people I have you I have you up on my screen right now too is that people visit your website which is simply hopeeducationservices.com and on that website, beyond your beautiful face, are lots of really important information that I thought we could spend some time talking about. And I'd like to really maybe just talk about your services. But before I do, because of your background, I, I do want to ask this one question, if you can just sort of, I don't know if there's a brief answer to this or not, but can you tell me, what is applied behavioral analysis? Because honestly, I don't know what that means. 
Yeah, absolutely. So applied behavior analysis stands uh, basically, well, it's called ABA therapy. It traditionally is what it's known for. It stands for applied behavior analysis. And what it, the, the technical definition of it is, is to apply the principles of behavior to situations that are socially relevant in order to evoke change. What that actually means in layman's terms is that <laughs> behaviorists can look at a child, determine what skills they have, what things they're doing that we don't want them to do, and then we can create situations and change what happens before a behavior occurs and after behavior occurs to make it more likely to occur. So let's, use, let's make it into a really practical example. Let's say that the child um, is not talking and we want them to be able to use language to communicate. So I know that that child can point. Well, I put together a choice board, meaning a set of pictures of things that the child wants, and that's what I do before the behavior. And then I have something that the child wants. Let's say they really want to, they really love ice cream. So I'm holding up a, a, a set up some ice cream. I said, would you like ice cream? And then I show them the choice board and it has a picture of ice cream in it. And I teach them to point to the ice cream. And, it, and then when they point to the ice cream, I give them the ice cream. So that's a simple example. But what I'm actually doing is, is demonstrating to them what a correct response is by rewarding a behavior. In this case, when they pointed to the picture, they got the ice cream. So that's really what it comes down to. It's when children, children typically learn from their environment. So toddlers are just interacting and learning from their environment all day, every day. And kids with autism often don't do that. So we do what's called discrete child training, meaning we break um, everyday situations up into very discrete events, and then we, contr we contrive them. We create multiple opportunities for them to learn and we simply reward behavior we want to see and don't reward behavior we don't want to see in order to teach children the correct way to respond. Um, and that's not stealing a child or forcing a child to, uh, to do mm -hmm. things that they don't want to do. It's just actually showing them what a correct response is supposed to be. So that, like sure. in that example, we're not harming a child. You know, we're showing mm -hmm. a child this is how you ask for what you want because kids with autism don't intrinsically know how to do that. So it's important that we show a child hey, this is how you're going to ask for the thing that you want. So that's, that, is, that's, um, uh, that is really what ABA is. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm happy that you've explained that to me. So this is, this is such an educational show, and I just want to continue the education. I'm looking at your website uh, where it talks about beliefs and values and, and what you believe. And you've got, let's see, I think there's four, there's four things listed here so let's let's kind of review some of them or let's review all of them let's take some moment so let's start with autism awareness the more parents learn about autism the better their children will do tell me some more about that did i just lose you my friend oh, oh boy sorry oh there yeah, we are that's no, okay um, so live live radio <laughs> yeah exactly Children with autism often don't learn from their environment. So like I talked about earlier, is therapists can contrive situations to help them learn more effectively. But there's only so much therapy a child's going to get. Maybe they're getting one or two or three or five hours of therapy a day, and then the rest of the day they don't have the, the same advantage of their peers of learning from their environment. So if a parent knows what a therapist is doing and knows how to create situations for their child to learn, 
then the parent can use all the time that that child is awake as a learning opportunity. So as a, as a therapist, I can teach a parent how to use mealtime, bath time, dressing time, teeth brushing time, all as opportunities for the child to learn the same way their peers have those situations as opportunities to learn. And it's important. So there's a lot of studies that some kids do really, really well that are autistic as the children, they grow up and they are very successful. And some children don't. And one of the, uh, they, they, there's just decades of, and thousands and millions of dollars spent into research to try to figure out why. And they don't really have the answer, but what they do know is that the faster a child learns skills, the better they're going to do. And so as a therapist, I work very closely with parents because I rely on parents helping their, their children to get those skills faster so that way they can be, be more successful. So the more a parent works with a therapist, the more they're aware of what skills their child is learning and working on, the more they can help and the better their child's outcome is going to be. You know, it doesn't matter if I can get a child to do something if when I leave it, the parent can't then it's not helpful right. for the child. It's only, a skill is only helpful for the child if they can use it with the people that are most important in their lives. And that's not their therapist, that's their parent. So it's, well, it's was... incredible. Like parents have to be involved. It's critical. I won't work with parents um, that are not involved. If there's a lot of parents who want to outsource therapy and outsource education, if they want to do that, that's fantastic. Then they can't work with me because I don't work right. that way. Well, you know, I was thinking as I'm listening to you, as I'm being educated, um, I think about what you, as an example, about the choice board. I would imagine that choice board is what those parents do with their children when they're not with you, right? You know, whatever that might be. You know, point to the ice cream could be one thing. What if you, what if your dog's name is Skippy and you want to point to Skippy, or whatever that might be? It sounds like while you are making the awareness for the parents, the child and the parents, the parents are key here. In, in reinforcing what it is you're doing, because it, it's it's vital, I'm sure. I can that makes total sense. Um, the next one that you have on your on your list is different, not less. Our goals is always to support a child to be the best version of themselves while accepting them for who they are. I think that that's really a stellar a stellar way of looking at that. How would what would you like to say about that? Yeah, absolutely. So that comes from, like I said, is in the history in the history of ABA, and we talked about the history of autism, them not really like being sure of what autism is, and you know, considering it a disability, and then some kids, it's not a disability. When ABA first started, the goal of ABA was to make a child not be autistic anymore, and so it created this gap in the community of, like I said, there's these adults that are autistic who take great offense to that. They don't want to be not, not be autistic. And so I use that term different, not less, to identify the fact that I'm not trying to, to take the traits of who someone is. If, if, they're, if they have autistic traits, I'm not trying to make their behavior look more like my behavior or your behavior to make you and I more comfortable. I'm allowing them to be whoever they are. I'm accepting them for who they are. And I'm just going to help make sure that they get to do all the things that they want to be able to do. So, you know, if a child obviously is, is nonverbal, I'm going to give them a, a method of communication. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I think that, that for that child, the ability to speak is not a disability. But it also means that I'm not trying to make somebody not autistic. I'm ultimately not trying to change who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Another thing that you wrote about here on your page is collaboration. And uh, 
it's clear that you take a holistic approach. So tell me about that, those modalities. I think you've probably kind of touched on your collaboration. You collaborate with the parent. You collaborate with the child. Do you, do you also collaborate, like, for perhaps if the child is in school? Yes, absolutely. I think it's important that all professionals are on the same page. So a child is not a set of behaviors. A child has different needs, and no one person can meet all their needs. You know, I am a behavior person, right? So I'm not a speech therapist. I'm not an occupational therapist. I'm not a physical therapist. It's important I work hand-in-hand with all of um, the, the people that are helping a child that I work with. So an occupational therapist is really good for understanding a child's sensory behaviors and how they best learn and what they need to be available to learn. A lot of behavior people will say, well, I'm not going to work with them because I'm a behaviorist and I do behavior things and I don't need that and I don't need that person. And there's a lot of competition, uh, not only Mm -hmm. among other professionals in your field, but other professionals that are related to you. And I don't believe in that. I believe that everyone has to work together and that my job is to meet all the child's needs. So if a child, for example, has a sensory need, meaning that child learns better when they're touching things, as a behavior person, I have to work with the occupational therapist to know and understand that because if I don't meet that child's need when they're learning with me, they're not going to learn effectively. So it's critical that I meet their need in that method. So I'm just a very big believer in everyone working together, everyone being on the same page, the idea that it takes a village, and it's not Mm -hmm. about me. You know, when you refuse to work with another professional, you make it about yourself. You know, my business is not about me. It's about helping the people that I serve. And when I take myself and my ego out of the equation, that means understanding I don't know everything. It means admitting to a parent, hey, you know what, if, we, if I work with this person, your child's going to have a better outcome because they're better at this aspect than I am. I'm really good at getting a child to talk, but I don't fully understand, you know, what's going on in terms of your child's, like, gut behavior so we need to work with a biomedical doctor, an integrated physician, to get them feeling better so they can learn better when they're with me. So it's just important that everyone works together, and I'm a big believer in that. That's fabulous. I love hearing that. I'm, I'm just thinking about people that might be listening to this show right now thinking, finally, finally I'm listening to somebody that can actually help me. I, I this must, This must make you – I mean, like I'm touching my heart, Jessica. This must make you – full of love to recognize how you can make a difference in the child, in the siblings, in the family. It's, it's just phenomenal. And that kind of takes me to that fourth section, which is family-centered approach, because it isn't a child. It, it, it's not just a child that gets this diagnosis, but it isn't. it's like that old song, it's a family affair, right? It affects everybody. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. It's really the idea that when I'm working with a child, there's a lot of relationships in that child's life. The child has siblings, and that sibling may not or may understand that the child has autism. You know, it's my job to help teach that sibling how to help, how to interact with their mm-hmm. brother or sister that's autistic. How do you mm-hmm. play with an autistic sibling? You know, what does mm-hmm. that feel like? So you're working with the whole family, helping grandparents understand really why their grandchild is treating them differently. You know, I work with grandparents who are heartbroken and they'll just say, like, does my child, my, my grandchild not love me? I come over and he cries. And, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes children with autism have issues with the routine. So I'll help, to help them understand, no, it's just because the routine is different or it's because last time you came over you babysat and, 
they are associating you coming with the parents leaving. So it's just, it's very hard and it's heartbreaking, but it's important to understand that autism doesn't just affect a child, it affects a whole family. I believe that a whole family gets a diagnosis of autism. It's not just a child that gets a diagnosis of autism. And so I support that entire family as a unit because I want the family unit to work. And right now, I mean, the reality of it is, is that children that are, have uh, autism, when a child has autism, parents are a lot more likely to get divorced. Families just fall apart. And I think if mm-hmm. more, if more practitioners addressed a family's needs versus just a child's needs, I think more marriages would stay together. And I think that mm-hmm. overall, the family would have a better experience and the child will have a better outcome. I would agree with you. I, I would agree with you. Um, I want to move over to another you do you do so much Jessica. I'd like to spend some time talking about this program that you call Autism Hero Academy and what's involved with with that and I know that on your page you actually have something about a dad's road map uh, but tell us more about what your um uh, Autism Hero Academy is all about and how people can learn more about that. Absolutely. So Autism Hero Academy, it is an online learning platform where parents can come and they can learn about how to help their kids. Um, I'm planning on putting out more courses. We have some new courses coming out soon. Mm-hmm. But right now the first course that was put out is a father's roadmap, a guide to navigating autism. And I put that out first because men I find, well, really what I found is that 99% of the time, Um, I work only with mothers. I might never even meet a father, and I might work with that family for years and never meet the father, or the father's not involved in the field of autism. And men are much more likely to just walk away when a child gets a diagnosis of autism. That's the reality. And I think that men process autism differently. They understand it differently, and they need different type of support. So whenever Mm -hmm. a company puts out a product, essentially what they try to do is they figure out who wants to buy their product, and then they market to them. I did things a little bit differently. I said, okay, you know what, also all the autism courses for that reason is really geared to moms. And even when I first started sending out my email, I never even said, hey, are you an autism parent? I said, are you an autism mom? And when I first did the analytics of my YouTube channel, and this made me so sad, um, and again, like I said, that one of my core beliefs as a human is that when you find out of a problem, you know, my choice is to always solve that problem, not to complain about it or not to ignore it. When I did the, the analytics of my YouTube channel, I found, and I, I kid you not, I have a picture to prove it, 100% of my audience was women. 100%. Wow. And, I mean, granted, it probably was like 99.995, but it was, mm-hmm. so, it was under 0.5%, so that way it registered on YouTube mm-hmm. analytics as 100% of women. And it made me profoundly sad to think that men are not seeking answers and seeking information on how to help their kids. And so it's mm. been a lot of work to try to even get men to buy into the fact. Because men, they look at it as they look diagnosis, a diagnosis or they look at needing help as some sort of personal failure. So it's very yes. hard to convince a, a father to get involved in autism treatment. And the idea, men often say, well, I don't need a professional to tell me how to raise my child. That's typically how a father responds to it. And it's not that we're trying to, to try to change how you raise your child, but we're trying to help you see things that you may not notice that 
you know, really could have a difference in your child. So just say, for example, today I was working with a dad, and his son um, is just starting to talk. I mean, in the last couple of days, he's using words for the very first time, and he asked for agua, water, and the father, the son was reaching to the bottle the father was holding, and it was empty. So the father went to the sink to fill it up, thinking that he's given that that's what he should do. Well, the son started crying, and I said, well, listen, here's the thing. He saw the bottle. He was reaching for the bottle. He said the word. This is the first time that we've ever seen him do this. And unfortunately, we're trying to teach him, I, I want something, so I asked for it. I said, it didn't work for him. I said, right? Mm-hmm. So we've been, we've, been, we've been drilling into him for months. And he's like, well, it, the water was empty. I said, no, I totally get it. Like, I'm not saying you're a bad dad or a bad person because mm-hmm. I'm like, but in this particular situation, from your son's perspective, I'm like, it actually needs to be, in order for the brain to make a connection that a behavior such as asking for something resulted in the desirable consequence when a child is that young and learning to talk, science shows it's two seconds. So it's like that water needed to be in his hands for two seconds for him to understand the fact or to be reinforced for the fact that he asked for it and he got it. So um, I, and I was able to, and the father was super amazing and super understanding and receptive. So even though like you did what any parent would normally have Mm -hmm. done, which is their kid asked for water and you went and got him water. I'm like, it doesn't make you a bad person. I'm like, but in this particular situation, because your child's learning to talk, it actually will undo some of his therapy. And I explained that to the father, and he really understood it. And I said, you know, like, this isn't going to be forever, but while until your child makes that connection, which is literally creating neural synapses in the brain and the communication cortex of the brain, I'm like, you're going to need to, like, literally give him everything he wants within seconds to whatever extent you feasibly can. I'm like, mm-hmm. even if you hand him an empty water bottle and he cries because it's right. empty, and then you go fill it with water. I was like, at this point, I'm like, he needs that to understand because we're literally trying to teach him teach his brain like on a neurological level what a response is supposed to be so there's little things like that that I can do as a mm-hmm. practitioner and to work with a parent and show um, but like I said when starting off talking about men 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 often have a really hard time with that you know when you when you tell that to a man they're just oftentimes oh, I, I don't need help um, mm-hmm. but the problem is that everybody needs help you know no one no one can do this alone it's not it's not realistic to think that anyone can help a, a child alone and it's not fair to the child. And so I'm doing everything that I can to really help get everyone involved and everyone on the same page. Like I said, that's the only way a child's going to have a really good outcome and not only a good outcome in terms of how they grow up when who they are when they're an adult, but making sure that the journey is rewarding and for yeah. everyone. And it's going to always be a lot of work, but it doesn't always have to be hard and it doesn't always have to be lonely. I, yeah, I, I'm you know I'm just I'm listening to all that you're saying, and I'm as a parent, and I'm thinking about what it was like when my children were very young, and how totally different my children were as babies, and how really they're not anything alike today as adults, and um, and then you add a communication, um, and it's and and it's not that all autistic children don't speak. I am clear about that, right? That is just one of the behaviors that happens with autistic children. Yes, that's correct. So a lot of um, all children with autism have initially difficulties in learning to communicate. Some children with autism will learn to communicate when they're children. Some, uh, but there's autistic adults. I mean, I have interviewed, and they're very eloquent speakers. Even some of them are better speakers than myself. So. 
there are people can learn to communicate, but there's an right. initial delay in communication, and not all children, um, not all autistic people, will learn to communicate even to adulthood. I see, and and I, rem- I I actually am taking some notes so I can actually refer back to what you said, which was in the very beginning when you said that. It starts with that communication, and then you said it goes to the social issues and the lack thereof. And then you used a word, Jessica, that had to do with the the term repetitive and sensory systems, and I I, I missed the word. I think you said something about presence. Stereotypy is the name of the word. That is the clinical term definition of it. And and what is, say the word for me one more time. Stereotypy. So like stereotypy, but it's pronounced oh. stereotypy. It's not even in a regular dictionary. It's a very, um, it's a very, like okay, uh, industry-specific well, term. Thank you. You know what? I I I really did not get that word, and so thank you for the, for the education of what that meant because I I was curious about that, and it sounds like you've got a lot of um, online things that are that are coming your way, and like I said, your your website is fabulous. I just have to say it is it's so helpful. And I wanted to talk about um so you offer this and you and you have different things that your course includes and I you know, I would honestly in my mind I would think for a dad that feels out like he's just like I don't know how to do this. I just don't know how to do this. It's not that I don't want to do it, but Susie, my wife, is just making all kinds of strides, and I'm out here in right field, and I'm just not even in the game. I don't, I don't know what to do. And and here's like you said, you, you know, you are solution based, and and to think that you recognize that, well, it doesn't surprise me. You're a professional, but the fact that you're so cognitive of just realizing that there's a if there's a problem, instead of complaining about it, to try and solve it, this just sounds like such a beautiful. Uh, opportunity for, for the dads, but the other thing that I know that you do that isn't just dad only is that you do offer virtual consultation. So people do not have to live where you live. I mean, we—I don't live where you live. You're on the you're on the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast. Um, so you do tell us about your virtual consultations. How yeah, does that absolutely. Right now, I think probably people were skeptical six months ago about what virtual about the idea of working with a practitioner virtually. But um, we have been doing it for forty, yeah, for forty plus hours a week. I mean, everything has changed. Now that's the way we're going. The reality of it is, is that in order to help your family, I don't need to be in the same room as you. I can help a family virtually. I'm I'm right now doing over forty hours a week of virtual consultations, um, and I've kids and parents are having a lot of success. With this or with the with what we're doing, and if your child has behavioral challenges, and they don't have to just have autism, I'm a behaviorist. If your child has behavioral challenges, communication challenges, social challenges, I can meet your child, meet with you, come up with a plan. We'll put together a plan to help your child, teach you how to carry it out, and then monitor your child's progress and keep updating that plan accordingly. I've been doing it um, for over 10 years, virtually even. I've been working in the field, and I have. I've been working in the field of ABA for 12 years. I've been actually working in with young children with special needs for 16 years. I started doing this my freshman year of college. I have a lot of experience, and I've almost never had a family have a bad experience with it. So, uh, it is a really great alternative solution for families that just Wonderful. really want help but are struggling. 
or maybe live in an area where they can't get the services, or even just if, if it's not working with your therapy team and you want to bring someone in just as a mm-hmm. second set of eyes to try to mm-hmm. figure out a second plan, um, I've done things like that as well. So oh, it's something that fabulous. I do offer. And that, I mean, you know what, I, it, it just keeps going because not only do you do that, but but you've got these books. Oh, my God. Tell everybody about the books that you do. Well, you know, it's really exciting. So I did put out a whole, I had a, a previous career in a personal development field, and I have a bunch of books out on that topic. Um, that seems like a lifetime ago. My first book in the field of mm-hmm. autism was actually um, called The Parent's uh, Introduction to ABA, or Applied Behavior Analysis. And it was just really, well, a lot of times when kids get ABA, there is a wait list. And so they might not eat, they might get, parents might take a year to get a diagnosis and then another year to wait for services. That's two years where a child went without the help they need. And fortunately, because services are becoming more common and more people are being trained and the system's doing a much better job than it was when I first started in the industry, um, the waiting lists have shrunk. However, because of the fact that offices, doctor's offices have been closed for so long, they're going back up. So the book is actually relevant again. So what I do is just break down really this complicated science into some very simple, practical tips and solutions for parents to understand uh, what ABA is. And it's also really great for parents who maybe their child's receiving ABA therapy and they want to work with their therapist, but their therapist is not as inclusive. They, they want to learn about um, what their therapist is doing so they understand it. Um, that is also a great, it's a great resource for them. I also have a new book coming out August 1st. It is called This is Autism. It is not a book I'm writing, but a book I'm compiling. I'm working with autistic adults. Um, there will be over 40 contributors, and they are going to be sharing their story of autism, their journey, what worked for them as a child, what didn't work for them, and really what autism means for them and how it defines them and affects them into adulthood. And I just think it's going to be such a valuable and incredible resource for parents who maybe can't understand their child. And I, I've just heard parents say thousands and thousands of times, I, I just wish I knew what was going on in his head. Well, I can't necessarily help a parent to see through their child's head. But what I can do is put together people who have a similar way of thinking and a similar way of interacting with the environment. And if a parent can understand what they were thinking and with what is working for them, I think it'll give them a better understanding of their child and they'll be able to form not only to help their child more, but to form a more meaningful relationship with their child. Well, I'm I'm just looking at the, the titles of some of these books and they're fabulous. And if I'm if I'm reading this properly on your on your page, that these are free ebooks. So, I'll oh, the e-books. Yes. Okay. I didn't realize there was the books you're talking about. I have. Oh, e-books you know what? And I have. You're right. Published books as well. Right. So, so yeah, that. So current, let's. Um, well, yeah, I'd love I'm to give them as a gift you. to all of your audience. Uh, I initially <laughs> intended to only. They're actually these books I did sell. I have sold these books in the past because of parents being home and because just as a gift to, with everything going on in the world and my true belief mm-hmm. that parents need help, um, I did put them for free. Right? They may not stay free forever, but they are free right now, right. so any of your listeners can go get them. Um, I have five e-books on my website. They're free to download right now, um, and I'm probably going to keep them that way for a while. So there's a book Perfect. about how to talk to uh, grandparents about autism, a book about how to talk to siblings about autism. There's a book that is about how to potty train a child with autism. There is a book about how to, it's called School Starting School with Autism, Creating Meaningful Relationships with Teachers. So you can see mm-hmm. my, the pattern of my family-centered and sure. my collaboration. 
And then there's actually my favorite one of them. It's called Just Freaking Eat It. So one of the <laughs> yeah. things that a lot of people don't realize, uh, a lot of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that kids with autism often have feeding disorders, behavioral feeding disorders, meaning they will not eat um, a lot of foods. They eat a very limited variety of foods. And they're much more likely than other children to be malnourished um, or even wind up on a feeding tube. In extreme cases, I've worked with several children wow. who would start themselves. They will starve themselves to the point of death. And mm-hmm. they will not try new foods. So this is the behavioral protocol for trying new foods. It's a very standard approach. I didn't create the protocol. It's the one that everyone uses. But I did, I'm did. i the first one to publish it and make it simple for parents. I just don't believe parents should have to wait six months and uh, you know take money out of their 401K to pay for a service that realistically they can learn. They can read a book and learn how to do it. I mean, it's a 10-minute yes. read, and it can it has profoundly changed people's lives. I had one parent... She messaged me on Facebook Messenger. She was from the U.K., and she was a single mom, and she called me, and she said, I want to get on the phone with you. Uh, I had just started, started, just wrote this book. This book was now three years old. It's been downloaded over 5,000 times. Mm. And I had this parent say, I am um, a single mom. I was saving up my money to take my child to New York for feeding therapy because we don't have it in the U.K. at the time, or at least wherever she was living. And she said, you know, I, my child ate only six foods, that's it, six foods. He's severely malnourished. The doctors are complaining all the time. Um, he hadn't tried a new food in five years. She said, I, was, I read your book. I used your approach. And she said, within two weeks, he tried a new food. Wow. And so that's, I, I, I don't um, often get emotional in business. I'm very good at being emotionally detached from the outcome of things. But um, I did have some tears when I got that, um, that oh. message. And this made me realize that, you know, oftentimes as a business owner, we want to measure a, or we want to measure our success, and often ex- by mm-hmm. extrinsic factors. You know, we'll measure as a society. It's all about how many likes did we get, and you know, how much mm-hmm. income did I create, and how many downloads did I get. And really, for me, the measure of my success and what I'm doing is the impact I get to create. And I just um, that was really fulfilling for me because it made me realize that if I never made a single dollar selling a book, I would have written it. Again, just right. for that one mom whose child ate that food. So for me, that's more important than everything else. And I do believe as a business owner, I know you have a lot of business people who come and listen to your call. You know, the reason why our businesses matter is because we can make a difference. And the yes. reason why, the reason why, you know, at the end of the day, I wake up and do what I do, it's not because it's the most profitable thing in the world. It's because I know I get to change people's lives, and that's really fulfilling for me. You bet. So just to avoid the confusion which I caused, so those are the e-books, but you're having a new a new book that you're publishing that's coming out in August, and would you tell us once again the name of that book? Yeah, that book is called This is Autism, um, and there's no information about it online yet. This is the first time I'm actually announcing it on publicly on radio, Good. but the book is on target to come out on time. So you can see that well, book as of August 1st, and if anyone um, downloads any of those free e-books, on my page, then they mm-hmm. will um, automatically uh, have an ability to, to buy the new book at a pre-sale Fabulous. discounted price when they Fabulous. So back to published books then, because honestly, I feel like that's how you and I first got connected. So beyond this book that's coming out in August, you've written other published books, not not the e-books we're ta- we were just talking about, but how many other books have you have you published on this subject? Um, on this subject, just that the only one is that one I was talking about. It's called The Parent's um, Introduction to ABA. 
there are, I do have six other published books in, um, in the field of personal development, which was, uh, this is also something that's close and near and dear to my heart, but my mm-hmm. focus for the last five years has been specifically on helping families affected okay. by autism, and that's the direction I've gone in. Um, I, I believe those books are still available on Amazon, but I don't sure. really do anything to promote them anymore. But if anyone right. wants, is interested in, uh, in interest in them, you can just search for my name on Amazon and they will come up. Exactly. You know, I want to, I, I know we're going to suddenly run out of time. It's like, no, wait, I want to ask more. We've got to talk about your YouTube show, Ask an Autistic, because this is a, this is a show with six adults. Am I right about that? Mhm. Okay. Tell tell our tell our listeners about how they can listen to this and what this is all about. Like I said, I realize that there's a lot of conflict between the way that professionals and parents see autism and how autistic adults see autism. Again, it goes back to my personal philosophy. Either complain about a problem, ignore it, or do nothing. Um, I decided, again, to solve the problem. I'm going mm-hmm. gonna to unite the community. That's just like my nature. I like to solve problems. I think that that's one of the most valuable contributions we can make. And in business, if, you know, if your business is not solving a problem, then you have no business being in business. So for me, um, I'm trying to solve that issue. I'm trying to unify the community. It's a big fundamental core belief of not only what my business, but why I believe I'm here and what my purpose is. And mm-hmm. so I, every week, I, I, on Tuesday nights, 9 p.m., it's a live show, Eastern Time. They want to sign up for it. Um, they can go to uh, – the link to sign up for the actual live recording is on my Facebook page, which is hopeeducationservices.com. I have not added it yet onto my website because – um, it's still a new show. It's only three weeks in, or we just finished our fourth week into it. Um, oh, we're okay, still you're new. Okay. For that particular show, so my YouTube channel, mm-hmm. I've been doing it for five years, and we. Um, but that particular show is, is a little is new. It's actually a limited time series we're doing called Ask mm-hmm. an Autistic, and they can see the recordings on my YouTube channel, which there's a lot of different videos on, and that's GetAutismAnswers.com. But they actually, what it is, is parents or professionals can come in. And they can ask autistic adults their questions. So, you know, one of the questions I got is, should I put my children in in a private school or a public school? And should they be in a self-contained room or an inclusion room? And all six people had six very different answers. And so it just gives a parent a some more information and some different perspectives so they can make better decisions when they're, you know, working with their child and, and really trying to help their child. Yes, I, I can see where that would be really terrific. So ask Ask. I just want to get this straight because I'm I'm talking to you and I'm taking notes and I'm trying to gather all of this. So because I'm I will be including this in in my follow up. So getautismanswers.com. That is a YouTube channel, right? You would go to YouTube and you yes, would type that in. Am I understanding? Okay. If you wanted to listen to Ask an Autistic, you get to that by going linking directly the from channel. your yeah. face. Right. From your YouTube channel or from your Facebook page? From both. Both of them will get them there. So it's getautismanswers.com and, and ask an autistic. Is that yeah, all in the same at, place? If they look at any of in any of the videos, any of the because I post the replays. It's a lot. It's a webinar that's recorded live, but on okay. all of the replays, which they can get at ask an, um, getautismanswers.com, they have a link to the live, to sign up to participate in the live show. So if they use the link. Um, that's in the comments of any of those videos, they'll be able to attend live and ask their questions live. 
Okay, terrific. Well, I appreciate you explaining that as well. And you, you, you did mention a success story, and um, and I, and I, I, w- I would love to hear another success story. But frankly, now I want to make this more personal, and that is, you have a very full life. I, I don't use the word busy because I was told by a millennial that she says we don't use that word. We say we're busy. We don't say we say we're no. We don't use the word busy. We use the word we're productive. Yeah, and you, the same thing. Productive is yeah. what I say. Busy, busy yes. often doesn't create results, but productivity creates results. Exactly. So I know a little bit about you on the personal side of life. I know that you have a dog. I know that you had mentioned um, being still. So do you? Are you a yoga? practicer do you is that one of the ways that you balance your work life and your personal life yeah i actually run i do ultra marathons i've done up to seven miles in a day um i also do practice yoga i do yoga on a paddleboard um so i'm actually going down tonight i'm going to be heading down to the jersey shore and uh if the weather is good this week i'll be doing some yoga um on my paddleboard in the bay Um, so I love that. I'm very active, and I just I, I believe that life is short. We get one life to live, and I just want to mm-hmm. view and see everything and create as many experiences and memories as I can. That's, you know, I don't know how many people listening, if they listen to my show with my friend um, Rob of um, the Q a few few months ago, maybe it was even a year ago, He's a mer- he's an ultra athlete as well. I don't think most mm-hmm. people with, that listen understand that an ultra marathon is not a typical marathon. Do you just do the no. Do you just do the running? You do, oh, you do I the do, biking. I've done over forty marathons as well. So, but um, okay, but so prefer, I'm so, actually not a super fast runner, so I prefer doing uh-huh. ultras because I have a better chance of winning, and I actually have placed in some That's ultra marathons. So I um, and I'm a little bit competitive. I like results, as you know. As you can probably look at my website and see that I'm a very results-driven person. So I pre- I prefer to win. So the longer the race, the better chance that I have to win because um, when everyone else gives up, I keep pushing through. I think God, I marathons, just... marathons are a test of athletic performance, and ultra marathons are a test of your pain threshold. So t- for people that don't know, how long is a regular marathon? A regular marathon is 26.2 miles, and an ultra marathon is anything over 26.2 miles. So I've done as much. Some of them are as much as 300. Um, I've done as much as a 24-hour race when I did 70 miles in 24 hours. So that is my extent of it. Wow. Well, good for you, and congratulations. A lot of people, my friend actually does this. He's part of my Rotary Club, and he does he does all three uh, ultras. And it's it's to, it's to raise money for what we do in Rotary. But I I just I for some people they've never heard of what an ultra is, so that you you and and so that sounds to me like the way that you are able to give back, and you give back on a regular basis, is because you understand the value of taking care of your own health, right? You by yeah, by absolutely. by practicing. I actually, while I was doing this radio show, I was doing an IV vitamin uh, drip because I'm a big believer in feeling your best and, and taking good care of your body. So, um, no kidding. Absolutely. That that's mm-hmm. cool. and do you do I do you manage your diet the same way? Yes, I am. Um, right now, I'm doing a keto diet. I am a vegetarian and absolutely very specific about what I put into my body. I cook all my own food. I don't really do any processed foods at all. So I'm very, 
very um, particular about what I eat. You have to be to be this productive. Wow. I wonder how many people out out in podcast land are listening to this going, my goodness, my goodness. You know, I, I sometimes think that my guests should all have TV shows, you know, so that, you know. I actually we see- have one of those. I have one of those as well. So maybe uh, I know we're at the top of the hour, but maybe next That's okay. time we can discuss that. <laughs> Is that right? You actually okay? Well, we'll just leave them hanging, you know, and and because yeah, we'll leave them hanging, I, and you'll have to you, have me back on, and we can discuss my TV show. But I do have a TV show that plays on several public access television um, stations across the country. I just, I, I, you know, I, that's, you know, you love what you do, and I love what I do, and I think that why we are such a good combination for one another is because we do have a passion for what we do. And at, at, at right now with the isolation that many people feel, and I would include myself in that to some degree, I mean, I do get out. I do have to get some fresh air. I do need to walk. I do need to talk. I do need to experience life. Um, uh, I, you know, you, you can only, for me, I'm just speaking for myself, you can only watch so much news. I mean, it's not that you don't want to be informed, but you don't want to be so informed that you are paralyzed and that we will we will figure this out in our own ways. Not one person doesn't have the solution. Clearly, we, we get conflicting information on a daily basis, but that doesn't change who we are, which is what we said at the very top of this show, Jessica, when you talked about the importance of understanding your purpose and this is an excellent time for people, in my opinion, to evaluate that regardless of your age. Regardless of your age. You're a teenager, you're, uh, you're a millennial, you're whatever, or you're a boomer like me. Anything in between. There's nothing wrong with saying, well, gosh, I can't do that now. Well, why not? Do you want to? Because you can if you choose to. And I think it goes back to just understanding what's purposeful for the individual without judgment, which is the key word that for those of us that practice yoga, and they do call it a practice, without judgment. No one judges. You just do what's right for you. So I've just thoroughly enjoyed this opportunity to spend this time with you, and and thank you for multitasking as you're getting your, your drip and I know it's your house. It's it's a little after five o'clock, and I just want to thank you so much for sharing an hour's worth of your time with me today. It's just been fabulous. It's just what I expected. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure, and um, hopefully you'll have me back to talk about the TV show. But um, thanks again I, for everyone for having me. Head over to the website if you're if you're listening, HopeEducationServices.com, and get your free gift. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Terrific. Okay, everybody. So that's it for this show um, t- this week. Um, I'm going to actually have an author um, on my show next week. Her name is Melanie Bloom, and she wrote a book about the quarantine, screen beans, and quarantine, and that'll be next week's focus. But for now, I just wish you all a safe, peaceful, healthy week, and I'll look forward to having you join me next time. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you. Bye.